eye contact is not necessary if you're okay in the middle. Well, biscuit, biscuit, are you taking over the podcast today? Mm-mm. I don't have enough energy. We got biscuit just off camera here. Good morning, biscuit. That's how I like it. <laughs> I look. We like need hell. another camera in here just for you. <laughs> you don't look like the ace word this morning, boo. Jesse and his crazy antics. I saw Ryan this morning and I didn't do the running. And I told him why. And I was like, I didn't I tell you why? Mm-mm. Oh no. Cause we we you told Rob, I think. Yeah. Ron. Yeah, Ron. We were <laughs> Y'all call him Ron. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. He's not he's a lot of times he's not cool enough to be a Rob. <laughs> when he when he's when he's acting cool, we call him Rob. When he's not when he's not, he's Ron. Ron. Oh my oh. gosh. And hold on. Well, that's good to know. Is it is it Lee or Leah? It's Lee. 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 It's kind of like Pam or Pam. That's what I was. Nobody's thinking. laughing at I you. I know, but that's what I was because I saw the way she spelled it. I expected it to spell be spelled L E E, like phonetically. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Did you see it? Yeah, I saw okay. it. <laughs> he loves doing that to anybody named Pam. Pam and, or Pamna. <laughs> he took what is that? It's all the stepbrothers like Lee or Lee. You could really get somebody <laughs> with that. Oh my gosh! I'm sorry. I'm just having a moment. Um, welcome back to the three seven podcast, everyone. I like how you didn't give them any heads up. We were starting. You were just like, Dude, go and clap and go. Um, well, I mean, we can start whenever you guys want, but you guys go to CrossFit at five fifteen every morning. We alternate because someone has to stay home with the boys. So I'm usually Monday. I'm Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm Friday, and then we both go on Saturday. Five fifteen. Five fifteen. Boo-boo, you would be useless. I'm going to tell you, the only time I ever get up at 5.15 is if I'm going deer hunting. I think that's the only time I would ever get up that early. It's accurate. That's about yeah. the only time it's worth it. <laughs> but you guys said it's the only time that you have to, if you don't get it in at 5.15, you're just not going to get your workout in, right? That's right. right. Okay. Well, I commend you for that. <laughs> that's dedication. Mm-hmm. I told Lee when we first started CrossFit that I would never work out in the morning. I told her that when we first started. Yeah, I was always and, the five fifteener, and then I was getting frustrated when I would come home from work, and he was always heading out to the gym. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I really, it would really be great if you could go in the morning. And he was like, Never, no way. And now we like argue, like on Tuesday nights. I'm like, Are you gonna go? Are you sure you're gonna? Go? Are you? Sl- <laughs> are you? Because like, if one of us sleeps in and the other wakes up, we're like, What are you doing? You, you took you my wasted day. It. You wasted it. You took oh my, my day. Gosh. So it's like you have the pressure of like, even this morning, I was like, well, I better go. Like, you got to go on your day. How many kids do you guys have? We have two boys. Okay. How old are they? They are seven and nine. Oh, wow. Handful then. So they're first and third grade. Coach Krista is their PE coach at school. Yep. No way. Yeah. Oh, that's Absolutely. fantastic. Yeah. That's cool. I wonder if she beats the kids. She's my she coach too. Us. Yeah. <laughs> coach Krista's my coach they too. They play games. Like, so she's much she nicer. Coached us this I think so. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about this bread right here. Um, I baked that this morning. So I made that for you guys. I'm not a baker. I don't cook. Ryan's our cook. Really? Yeah. Ryan's the cook. I do other things, but that's <laughs> I do some things, but that's his thing. So my girlfriend, um, Jesse, taught me how to make that back in like 2019. So my boys call it Jesse bread. Okay. And we <laughs> call it the Jesse bread and we get the wheat from a family down in like Woodstock area. So uh-huh. I have like a mill and we grind it and... Have been kind of tweaking the recipe. Like we'll text each other, like what to add or 
what works. So I'm a bread connoisseur. I know bread okay. and coffee. Well, yeah, yeah, I submit to you this loaf of Jesse bread. <laughs> I really <laughs> appreciate it, man. You have no idea how much that means to me. Oh, he's pumped. Okay, good. Yeah, you know, man. Everybody has demonized bread these days. Because it's so processed. Well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. This whole plant-based diet (laughs) is a fad. It's a fad. A plant-based diet is an inferior diet. We have things to talk about. People have demonized bread, (laughs) demonized meat. A a ribeye steak has everything your body needs in a ribeye steak. Do you guys eat plant-based diet? We just went Mostly to Longhorn for lunch today. Okay. <laughs> Mostly, oh, not. Mostly Bojangles. Do not. Triggered. I'm triggered. I quit. We're, we're just yeah, part of the line blocking traffic. We're going to do the Bojangles. Oh. Well, I just, had to throw that, I just had to throw that out there. Plant-based diet is an inferior diet. Says the guy that last night walks into the house and Chef Leslie has made plant-based tacos and you're stuffing your face telling her how good it was you ha- i mean you always have to be nice to to the chef <laughs> if you're not nice to the chef if you go in and tell the the plant you eat it chef it's not smart to plant- not be nice to the chef yes you will get you'll wind up with a bellyache because <laughs> something's going to get in your food that you yeah. don't you could have just ate one taco you ate like four well i was hungry ready for chow and that was what was for dinner why don't you just let people eat what they want to eat and just keep your (laughs) stuff to yourself because i want people to maximize their potential and i'm telling you if you want to maximize your potential you should eat ribeye steak now (laughs) i want to move on to the next question i have for you guys um we have two dentists in the studio today lee and ryan you guys are the first dentists that we've ever had on the show. Probably the last, but She's thank like, you. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, Why do you say that? I, I, you know, I want to ask you guys. This is really weird. I never brush my teeth, and I don't get cavities. Like, what is happening? He also doesn't get kisses. <laughs> what is hap- How is it possible to not brush your teeth and not get cavities? Like, like ever? No, as an adult, I, I I don't think I've ever had a cavity. Our sex life was already going downhill with the beard. <laughs> and then he quit brushing his teeth. Baby, I and... never brushed my teeth. Now, I used to think it was because I dipped Copenhagen. And my theory was that something in Copenhagen was uh, preventing, pr- protected my teeth. But then I quit dipping Copenhagen, and I'm still not getting cavities. I'm still not brushing my teeth. So can you guys explain that to me? Because I know dentists are all about brushing teeth and flossing and stuff. Well, How do you know you don't have cavities? It's a good question. Um, <laughs> my teeth don't hurt. <laughs> if you get a cavity, don't your, t- don't your teeth hurt? Not the, unless it's bad. The foul smell might have something to do with it. <laughs> Diet and nutrition does play a big role. Uh, that's a big one. It's a big one. Do, I mean, do some people have harder teeth than others? Absolutely. Yep. Yes. Okay. There's definitely a genetic component, diet, and Environmental. Yep. So some people are more prone to getting cavities. Absolutely. That's how Chili is. Chili has a soft teeth. <laughs> a soft teeth? Yeah. <laughs> He's got the soft teeth. He That boy will not miss a toothbrushing. I mean, he won't miss it. And he wears this... He also puts this thing in his... He's going to hate it, though. I'm telling everybody this. <laughs> he's like, I'm not even there to defend myself. <laughs> he has this thing, this clear, like, retainer-looking thing that he puts on his teeth oh, yeah. at night. Yeah. 
And he won't tell us what it's for. Do you guys have you guys ever seen one of those? Yeah. Well, it's probably it's either for him grinding at night or mm. if he's had any kind of braces or anything like that, it's a clear retainer to hold his teeth okay. uh, in position. No good dirt. You didn't get any dirt. Unless he's like bleaching his teeth. Ooh, he could be bleaching. bleaching. Oh, he could be. Yeah. He he's a he's yeah. He's all about some some nice teeth. Um was dentist school hard? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. What was the hardest part? I mean, I want each of you give me the most difficult part of dentist school for you personally. Um so I grew up here and I went to a small high school, so I always did really well in school and didn't have to work super hard and I went to Georgia. Dental school was where you got humbled like really fast. You're around a lot of really really intelligent people, so you have to work harder than I'd ever had to work before to kind of stay in the pack. Um, and it's just all new skills. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of hand skills. And so I was always really great at test taking and kind of being able, like in a classroom setting, like sitting down with my syllabus and highlighting and taking notes. I was always really great at that. But like the hand skills of actually working with patients mm -hmm. was the most challenging thing for me. Have you ever screwed up when you're working on somebody and like... Don't ask her that. Never screwed like, up. Um, like, like busted their tooth up or something? I mean, we had some really, like some wild stories, like while we were in school, we'd have... Uh, it could be a nightmare. We'd, we'd have some things, but I mean, like, I mean, I'm certainly not perfect. I know I've made mistakes, but nothing like really exciting. Okay. Which is... You know, that's good. That's good. That's good. We don't want to have any rules. I'm trying stories. to determine when I get cavities, which one of you guys I want to come to to work on my teeth. <laughs> she, she works on baby teeth. I'm a teeth. pediatric specialist, so I only work on little ones. So. What the heck? Really? Right, right, yes. Why do you even work on little bitty teeth? They're all going to fall out anyway. Well, not like immediately. Okay. Little they bitty teeth them. can get they toothaches. Got, they got to be able to eat too. Well, that's true. Chad's teeth, his mom, love you, Jenny. His mom um, fed him marshmallows every night at bed, and all his baby teeth rotted out That'll before they fell out. Yep. And some kids, it doesn't bother them. Sometimes though, they get little toothaches. I had some terrible toothaches when I was a when I was a kid. Marshmallows every night before bed, <laughs> not good for your <laughs> children. Ryan, what was the hardest part for you? Um, hand, we got hand skill, hands on skills mm -hmm. right here. What mine, about you? Mine's like the opposite. Mm -hmm. I was always good with the hand skill stuff, and that just came naturally to me. He's the artist. And um, some of the classes were just super hard. Like the amount of material, not necessarily like it was overwhelming and you couldn't understand it, but just the amount that you had to memorize and mm. be able to regurgitate and understand. Like yeah. It was just the amount. Okay. Yep. And then in dental school, you're you're like you're you do the lab courses too, along with the didactic courses, and so you're you're in you're at school from like eight to five most days. And so med school is a little different because they go from like eight to twelve, and then everybody goes home and they studies they study for the rest of the day. So we go we go to go to eight to five, and then we have to study after that. So it's like learning how to. Um, prioritize my time mm. and for those of us key. who aren't stellar with the hand skills you stay up in the lab till seven eight <laughs> redoing things and mm -mm. practicing while the rest of us are studying yeah dang it man how long was school um 
dental school was four years, and then my pediatric residency was two more. Good Lord. Okay. That's on top of like your undergrad, right? Right. Yes. Good so gracious. Six okay. years post-undergrad. We got a lot of school. Okay. I don't know about the Like total time, when, like from the time you- You can't count. The time, six years, what is undergrad? I don't so know what that is. So that's my four, four years at Georgia. So 10 years after I graduated from high school. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 10 years Ten, of yeah. school? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he did nine. Yeah. A decade. A decade. Oh my gosh, man. Yeah, that's crazy. That's dedication right there. How did you make money while you went through 10 years of school? How did you survive? <clears throat> Student loan debt. Really? <laughs> that pays like for your living expenses and stuff? or It does um, when you're in, in dental school. It does, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right. One last dentist question. Yeah. I was about to speed you along. What's the worst set of teeth you've ever seen? <laughs> Tell me about it. There's got to be one person that like uh, opened their there's, mouth. There's and one like, that stands out to me. Is You don't have to was, mention names. I'm not. <laughs> he, he was a patient of mine in dental school, and um, he had dipped his entire life. He said he was probably 67 or something when I saw him, and he said he had dipped his entire life since he was like three, and I mm. believed him. And he, he never brushed, and he had food all in his mouth, and... His teeth were breaking down. I just remember there was just tons of food in his mouth when I looked in. Did he have a beard? <laughs> <laughs> no, was, for real. That, did was, he? that was real specific. And there was, you know, and then there's the smell to it. And it's oh. just. Or his gums like, ero like his gums were yeah. like eroded and stuff. Yeah. So his, um, he had had re severe recession on the lower and areas of like ulcers where he would put the, um, Copenhagen or whatever he he dipped yeah and we actually did a biopsy on it and somehow it came back and it was not cancerous somehow I don't know how the heck it was not cancerous but it looked nasty it looked nasty yeah did you get him fixed up no I was I don't know what happened with him I was like later on in my our um, patients in dental school kind of roll back to yeah when we graduate so he rolled back to somebody else behind me <laughs> he had to get rolled through multiple tents <laughs> Well, yeah. he had a messed up mouth, oh, didn't yeah. he? Bless yeah. it. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I could only imagine. What about you? Um, I mean, I work with kids. We do um, dental surgeries, so we go to um, some of the local hospitals and we'll do cases under anesthesia. So I've had kids um, just for different reasons. Like I said, some could be genetic, some are dietary. But I've had kids as young as two 18 months two years old where we're having to go in and take out teeth that are abscessed or mm. infected wow so that's terrible those are, yeah i mean i feel like we are able to help them because there's not a there's not many other options yeah um, so we can do it or they can be safe and they're comfortable and they don't go through anything traumatic um but you know taking out teeth on little ones as small as 18 months two years old mm -hmm. um and i've done some mission trips like internationally and People always ask, like, as if I've saw things that might be really wild, like in Romania or Guatemala. But I mean, really, you'll see, you'll see same things here. Mm -hmm. It's not any worse anywhere else. So interesting, man. So I no mean, one's going to listen past this part of the podcast. They're no, I'm like, okay, <laughs> talking about teeth. They're like, I, no, I could do. I'm really interested. <laughs> I mean, I could do a whole dang podcast on on <laughs> dentist stories. I mean, there's so many questions that I have about. What it's like to be a dentist. Uh, I mean, it's a really unique... I mean, you're talking about t a decade of learning to pr perform this skill. I mean, I think it's a pretty cool career path. Um, 
All right. The the core of our conversation is going to be today around you guys' story. And I think specifically um, addiction and recovery and how you guys worked uh, through that process as a as a married couple and you were able to ma- keep your marriage and and you know all all that's entailed in that and the reason I, I feel like this is a a good well a good conversation for us to sit down and have uh, and for the people to listen to is because I don't know if I know I don't know if I personally know a single individual out there who has not been affected in some way, shape, or form by addiction. Uh, not, you know, it might not have, not have been them personally uh, having to uh, go through that, but someone in their immediate family has usually, uh, is currently struggling with addiction or is in somewhere in the process of recovery. And, you know, it's, uh, it's still kind of a taboo thing uh, that I think... A lot of people are still somewhat, I don't know if you want to say ashamed to talk about it or or, mm-hmm. or what it may be, but it's like, I, I we just ran a course last weekend, The Proving Grounds, and I'm I'm open about Brooke and I's story, and, and at least I'm open about my side of it, and you know, I mention it to people that I'm training with, and then I have people come up to me afterwards, and they're like, hey, I'm... I'm my wife's actually an addict right now, or, or my son is an addict, and, and and I don't know how to deal with it. And you know, they would have they would have never mentioned that, uh, and it's probably the biggest struggle they're going through in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's just a, a very prevalent thing, and and it's a lot of a lot of a lot of things that should be said about it to help people that are struggling it with needs, this in their life. It needs to be normalized. Yeah, it needs to be like. Something that we just keep a constant conversation about. I think, like, it's an illness. Yeah. It's that simple. But before we dig into y'all's story, I want to let y'all know this podcast is brought to you by Enough Said Running because Lee just finished a 10K, right? That's right. And um, you said that you enjoyed watching the Enough Said Running video series. I did. Did you learn anything that helped you? I did. I, I learned... I mean, every video had something, a different, different tidbit, something to learn, something that was helpful. I've run in the past. Um, I told Brooke, I did a couple half marathons with a group. We ran and we trained and ran back, which half marathon to you guys, but to us, it was like big mileage, 13. It is big mileage. So we did that in 2018 and 2019. Um, that 2019 half, I went down with like a knee injury and just kind of let running go fall to the wayside and so this was kind of my first race back since I stopped running a couple years ago Mm -hmm. so um just really starting out with the mindset piece Mm -hmm. um was huge because I can get in my head with running and that I'm not a runner yeah um so the mindset piece um I laugh even when I was running the tank I'm like you're holding an egg you're holding an egg yeah (laughs) like I tend to get really tense um so just a lot of the um mechanics and just some of the training philosophies with track training um, mm-hmm. and even our race day execution, which I don't use race as a verb. I don't like race races. I just like, I, I go to the race. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Um, but even like planning our race day execution, like we were staying at a hotel and my friend was like, what time should we get there? I'm like 30 minutes before the race. 
Yeah. That's what Chad said. We don't need to be down there for two hours <laughs> pacing around nervously waiting for that it to start. That is so awesome, man. So it was really great. I so, am so glad that that helped you. That's the reason we created that course yeah. is because running is so important to me in my life for so many different reasons. And it, it does seem, I remember when I first started running, it mm. seems overwhelming when you, uh, when you first get started. So that's the reason we created it is for stories like that. Right. Like that is so, so, that makes me so, so happy that it helped you. Thank you for buying the course and, was, and for paying attention to it. It was well worth it. It was super easy to watch, like watch the clips. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was like a hot, hilly 10K. So when I finished, it was, we were super proud of ourselves and it just got us like back in that mode because now we'll still get together. Like when he's at the gym, we'll get together on Tuesdays in the morning and we can just go run and it's how we can talk and catch up mm-hmm. outside and we're running and it's just something that's been really great to get back yes. into the routine. So yeah, that's so cool. And you talked about showing up to the race, um, even if you're not competitive, when you show up to the race, here's my advice to you. Always run as if you were in first place, right? So no matter where you are during the race, run as if you were in first place. And second place is right on your heels. Just imagine that in your mind. And you are going to maximize what you can accomplish that day. I had a time in my head. Okay. So I was racing myself pretty much Mm -hmm. like my girlfriend like she was she had her time so she kind of took off there towards the end she's she's more she's more of a runner uh but i definitely had my time so i was about two minutes ahead of my time so i was i was pumped about it was one of those like my strava's like telling me my time like coming into mile six and you've got like the point to i'm like okay i better pick it up man i love that it was great well all right if you guys uh want to check out enough said running just go to enough said running com. You can get this 10-part video series for less than the cost of a pair of running shoes. And um, hopefully it helps you like it helped Lee. Thank you. Enough said running. Biscuit, where do you want to start this conversation? I would love to start with, I mean, I want to hear your whole life story, but I don't think we have time. <laughs> like, that's where I wanted to start, but he talked too much. So now... I think it would be good to start, like, what season of life were you guys in, like, right before all this started? Like, set the stage for... Like, before I went to treatment? No, I want to know, like, I want to know, if you don't mind, like, right before you started using, where were you at? Where were you guys at? Like, what was life like? That's going to take us way back. Yeah. I mean, that's that's high school for me. Like, Oh, well, yeah, I want to hear it. Yeah. Partying. Can you like that. synapsis some of it? Yeah. Like no rush. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I have three brothers. I have two older brothers and one younger brother. And um, I would, I idolized my, one of my older brothers who is number two in the family. I'll leave their names out of it. Um, but he was kind of the partier in high school. And I saw that he like had like the fame and, um, had friends and girls and all the th- all the things that, that I wanted really is what it was. And so I kind of idolized him and, and knowing older kids, like his friends, like we could get alcohol easily. And so we always had alcohol and we, you know, um, marijuana, all that kind of stuff. You know, in high school you can get just about anything you want. But that was mostly what we um, 
what I stuck to in high school was, was alcohol. So alcohol was my first, um, drug of choice. Um, and that's the one that I used throughout no matter what. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you go to college and it's just more of the same and then graduate college and then kind of change a little bit. Um, as far as what I like, I, I moved into wine and that sort of stuff. Um, but it was still, I was still part of the party scene. And then even dental school, like we would study so hard and then we would go out real hard also, like on Fridays and Saturdays. Mm. At that point, were you like a daily drinking alcoholic, like get the shakes or you were just like a, like yeah, a I was more of a, so I would drink daily, but it was, I would have like a glass of wine or something like that. And that kind of started when I, in my mid twenties. Okay. Um, we went to Europe and I thought I was sophisticated and I started drinking wine and that was something that I found I could drink daily and not, um, get like real hungover and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Cause you were, I mean, you did this throughout dental school, right? Yes. And we were just talking about how difficult that is. Now I say not drinking much, but I would drink a bottle of wine at night. Oh, okay. <laughs> Heard. It's, re it's relative. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, Alcohol is so freaking sneaky, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, I you, you know, we've had seasons in our life where I like to drink craft beer. We both right? do. And I've had seasons in my life, you know, in the past years where it's like I would drink one beer every single evening. And then uh, over the course of a few months, I, I would be drinking three beers every single evening. Yeah. To four beers. And it's like, whoa, what the heck is like, I, right. I got to stop doing this. Yeah, like, it's it, sneaky. Gosh, it's sneaky, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if you just, I mean, one bottle of wine in the evening, well, you can get up the next morning and, and do your thing just fine, right? Right. Heck, you're passing you're a little, dental You're a little school. foggy at, at first, you know, when you wake up, and then you're good. Yeah. And then when I found narcotics, I could pop a narcotic in the morning, and I was real good then. Mm -hmm. Or I thought I was, you know. And when did that start? Um, that started, so I had a knee surgery um in dental school, um, I tore my ACL and then I had a knee surgery, did an ACL replacement and they wrote me, you know, hydrocodone afterwards appropriately. So, and, um, man, from then on, it was like, bam, mm -hmm. like that was my new drug of choice was narcotics, um, hydrocodone, oxycodone, those sorts of things. And, um, so that, that continued, um, after dental school and I knew I had a problem. Like I couldn't just take one, you know, mm -hmm. and I couldn't just drink one glass of alcohol. Like I just couldn't do just one. Mm. Something changed in me when I would drink one and then the next one was just coming. Like it was coming. Um, and so the, the combination of alcohol and narcotics, like, Narcotics during the day, alcoholic night. You know, those got that time got shorter and shorter between the two, you know. Um, and then we moved to Rome and um, started working and living here. So you guys, when did you guys get married? At what point did you get married? So we met in dental school. Um, we started dating. I was a senior. You yeah. were a junior. Yes. Um, we went on a mission trip to Trinidad and Tobago. Got to know each other. Started dating later that fall. Um, so we got engaged. Let's see. I ended up um, matching to do my residency, stay in Augusta. 
So we got engaged fall of 2009. Yeah. Yeah. So we got married in 2010 at Christmas and we graduated six months later. So we'd been married um, like seven months or so when we moved back to Rome. When was the surgery in relation to when you guys got married? It was in 2008. Surgery was right when we started dating. So you were completely addicted to narcotics by the time you guys were dating? Mm-hmm. Did yes. you know? Nope. Okay. I did not. Y'all's story is just like ours. <laughs> so much like our oh, story. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Yeah. yeah. But did you, did, oh, I know you it is. did you ever think that something was maybe a little off? Like, did you ever have the intuition? So he had his knee surgery. The, I went up to visit him after his knee surgery, and that was the first time I went to his parents' house. He's from Northwest Georgia also. Um, so it was relatively early when you had your surgery. Um, so we, like, our class, my friends, we also drank in dental school. Um, so her class was known as a party class. <laughs> Shout out class of 2009. Yes. <laughs> and yes. Um, our class. Yeah. Um, so I didn't see any major red flags with Ryan particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, now if you kind of look over the course of our dating, there were definitely things that would happen. There would be like these, these moments where something was not right. Um, Sometimes I'd address it. Sometimes I would talk myself out of like, well, somebody else was worse or you just time would go by and you'd start to in your mind kind of be like, well, he's been doing fine. That was just something weird. Um, but in hindsight, I mean, there were definitely things that would happen. Yeah. That or or we'd even talk about things and, and he would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to stop. I'm going to like a common thing was he'd go a month without drinking. So we'd have something that would happen. Um which is like worse. It makes it worse. But like, if I go a month without drinking, I'm convincing myself that I'm not an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Oh, Which he okay. could do it. It made it worse for me. It could do it, but he's using he's using narcotics, and I don't know about it. Mm-hmm. So it would almost be kind of like a show to get me to simmer down that there wasn't a problem. Yeah. And, and you never saw the prescriptions. You never saw the. So there uh, was. I mean, uh, some later on. Later on. Yeah, there are a few instances where things... Okay, keep going. Yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> all right, now I know where you guys are and where, where when you guys got married. So w- you guys made the decision to move back to Rome. We did. And I think that's where you left off, right? Yeah, so we moved back to Rome. Um, we both started practicing. She was commuting to Atlanta for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, um, we ended up she getting pregnant. And we had our first son... Um, September of 2012 and so uh, we ended up buying a house and moving and all that kind of stuff and um, it looked like things were going well like we both had a job she ended up coming back to Rome and she's working she worked in the office that she works in now um, here in Rome and so we just had you know some good trajectory is what it looked like and um, in the meantime I am still like doing whatever I can do to get narcotics. So one way is I could get them from my brother, one of my brothers. Um, and so he would come down and he would play golf with me and stuff like that. We'd, we'd play golf, but you know, it was a drug deal on top of that. Um, and then, um, I would go see my, a primary physician, which I, I would, you know, tell her I had some, some aches and pains and, 
you know, narcotics work well for me. And so that's what she would write. And with me, I think with me being a, a dentist, like I had some credibility and I certainly uh, abused that mm-hmm. credibility. Um, I ended up doing an amends to her. Um, Oof. <laughs> she was very, Oof. she was very kind. Um, Did she know? Or when you, t- I don't when- think so. Mm. I don't think so. We got to come back to that. Yeah. Cause I don't know what that is, but yeah. When, <laughs> One we'll of the 12 there. steps. Okay. One of the 12 steps. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so it just, it just kept escalating. And, um, and even at my work, I could get them, get things through my work. Mm-hmm. You know, I could order meds through, through the office. I'd be dead. Yeah. Well, yeah. Got real close. Got real close. Um, and so it just, it kept getting worse. Like, and even the more I wanted it to stop, there was nothing that I could do. And I tried like guilt. Like if you love your children, you, you, you can't keep doing this. Like I tried, mm-hmm. like, do you really love your, your wife and kids if you're doing this? Um, I tried working out, um, which actually helped for a little bit. I, I, I thought it helped, you know because I wasn't using as hard during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just would, it would always skyrocket. Um, from there, I would have these little glimpses and then bam, it'd be off to the races again. Um, and when I look back on it, like especially towards the end of my using, like it was like, I was just torturing myself is what I was doing because I would use real hard and then I would stop. And um, I'd have withdrawals like, miserable withdrawals Mm -hmm. those are the worst Mm -hmm. i mean you've never wanted to like not exist more than like coming off of something like that Mm -hmm. and you just had to put up with this normal life stuff that didn't seem worth doing like talking to people Mm -hmm. (laughs) like going to work eating so i ended up losing a bunch of weight um um what else what was the time frame here? Like, we're talking. This is years. So well, it's. The first kid was born in 2012. Uh-huh. You started narcotics in. 2008. 2008. Uh-huh. You guys got married in 2010. Where are we kind of roughly now in the story? So at this point, we've probably had um, our, se- our, our second, second child. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, so we're, we have our second child. And I have been working for a while. Like I said, I'm ordering drugs through the office, um, narcotics. And, um, like, things are starting to spiral out of control a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean? So, people are starting to notice some things. And, um, like, the person I worked with noticed some stuff. Some other friends noticed some stuff. did you pass out at a bathroom one time? I did. Hey, I did that, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yep. look at us. We got the same disease. <laughs> look, look at us. Look at us. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, um, you know, just, and, and the, like lying, anything to, to cover up, uh, what I was doing it w- was necessary. I was stealing from other people. Yeah. So when I walked back to the bathroom here to use the restroom, I was like, well, normally I, or if I was still using, I would have been shuffling through the cabinets Mm -hmm. yeah always yep always always because they don't need them 
No. <laughs> and I do. I've staged break-ins to have take you, people's oh, medication. Good. Yeah. Like I have staged a burglary so that way it wouldn't fall back on me. Like, yeah. Bro- yeah. Yeah. We won't go there. It, well, you know, all of this is, um, as I listen to it, it, it's just a testament to the power of addiction, the power of, of these drugs. I've said it time and time again. These drugs are the most powerful force on earth. They're stronger than a, a, a mother's love. They're stronger than sex. They're stronger than anything hunger, else. Hunger. Yeah, hunger, in, anything yeah. else. That it, It's just, it's mind-boggling to me. Like, and I have no idea how that feels in, like inside of you because there's, there's almost like, is it like there's two parts of you? Oh, yeah. So there's like, because you it's, you it's, you made mention that like there's there was a part of you that hated it and you knew you were torturing yourself. Yeah, it's it's a it's a conflict. It's an internal conflict all the time, and it's the ups and downs are just. I mean, it's a roller coaster of you know I'm going to be good. I'm going to do it this time. How did I how did I use again? How many times? And, and did, how do you make it through the day without using? Yeah, like, that's that's the thing I couldn't couldn't get until I went to treatment. How many times did you like make a plan the night before? I'm only going to take a pill at ten thirty, at two, and at five, and I'm only bringing that amount with me to work, and that's it. Absolutely. And like like I'm talking about hundreds of days for me. Oh yeah. Then I'm like I, I'm going to do this. Right. No. Absolutely. And you ne- you could never do it. No. You'd end up stealing from somebody mm-hmm. or going back home to get them. So you'd, you'd find a way. Yep. Yeah. And I, I-, I would go out at night a lot of times and go up to the office and get things mm-hmm. and come back. And One time we were having our son's first birthday and he went to pick up the, the Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets and he was really late coming back with them. And when he came, I was like, what happened? And he was like, oh, yeah, they just didn't have them ready. I was like, Chick-fil-A did not have the nuggets ready. (laughs) And he's like, no. I'm like, did they give you like a free sweet tea? Did they give you something? He's like, no, I just had to sit there for like 45 minutes waiting. I should have known he was lying then. I should have known he was lying when he said Chick-fil-A did not have his nuggets ready and did not give him any kind of sweet tea. I should have known you were not waiting at Chick-fil-A. You picked these nuggets up an hour ago and we're off. Mm-hmm. Can I just Doing say how much I love the energy that you guys bring to this conversation? Like, I don't, I don't know you well. I'm not sensing much shame from you in this. Like, I'm sensing confidence and like you're willing to put yourself out there and like, and the way you just talked about that. I mean, that's a that's a big deal. But like, you're well, just we talked like before we even did this podcast because I joked with when Brooke came up to me at the gym and was like, Hey, how about instead of going to dinner or lunch, like, let's just do a podcast. I was like, Ryan's gonna, he's gonna hate this. <laughs> <laughs> and when I told him, he's like, absolutely. I hate this, which is why I know this is something I should do because he said like, it's almost like, like, why would we come on a podcast to tell our story? Like we talked about that before we came and like our mission is to give people hope Mm-hmm. Um, that's exactly it like 
we both have people in our immediate family that have either not recovered yet or never did. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, we know the reality of what some people probably their experience with addiction is. There's not a happy ending, Mm -hmm. um, or they're still praying for that every day. Um, so we, we, we come on and we certainly know that we're we're not going to be sharing like a how to, (laughs) you know, we just have our story and where we are right now and hope it can give people hope. So we, I mean, we've worked through it. It's been what? Six years. Six years. Six and a half. Yeah. Six and a half. Yeah. Don't let me derail though. I, yeah. I probably just derailed. Yeah. No. Sorry. What? <laughs> no, that was me. And what I, you know, the the other the other thing that is just so like w- over the top of my head is like you're go- you're you're fight you're fighting this internal conflict for I mean years and it's like I wanna I wanna say well <clears throat> man how do you how in the world do you carry that burden around with you for that long? But I guess ultimately the burden will eventually crush everyone, right? It, it'll crush you. And it was it was about to crush me, like towards the end. Talk about it. Um, <laughs> Talk about it. <laughs> I'm excited. Well, it's, you know, that, that burden, that's a good, good word for it. Um, because you have to use to handle that burden. Like that's that's one way I handled it was using. Um, but then the more you use, the bigger the burden gets. And so it's just this time bomb. Like I felt like when I went to treatment, I described myself as like this time bomb that was, um, there was no way of letting any of the um, pressure out. Like I'm a, I'm a bomb and there's no way of letting any of that pressure out. I have to just keep using drugs and keep using drugs. But all what happens is that that pressure just keeps building and building. So when, you know, what you need are those, the correct ventilation in this thing to let some of the the pressure out. And that is, you know, being with community. um, It's um, having a relationship with a higher power, a relationship with yourself, with others. Um, And that's, that's, you know, controlling that time bomb or the, you know, just the pressure of life um, is really what that is. You know, the burden now, the burden that I was carrying then was much heavier. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because it was full of, it had lies and deception and this, uh, confusing thought that I wanted to be a good person and yet I could not. Mm. And there was, there was nothing that I was doing that could change that because mm-hmm. I tried everything. Like I tried everything like in the big book, it talks, big books, Alcoholics Anonymous, it talks about like changing things. So I'm only going to drink beer today. Or I'm only going to take the pills at uh, 12 and at 2 and at you know, 4, and I'm only going to bring three of them. Yeah. That'll do, that, that's the solution. That's not the solution, you know? <laughs> and, um, God, that burden is just, whew, it's, I, I certainly have some feelings when I, when I think about it. Um, mm-hmm. Because there were some, when I, when I ended up going to treatment and finally, like, getting honest about things, some of that went away like right then, like right when I was confessing what was going on mm-hmm. to the people around me. And it was really scary. It was terrifying. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew that I felt some relief 
at that moment, that that burden was not going to crush me that day. Hmm. What was, you keep referencing like towards the end, things got really bad. Like I kind of selfishly want to hear like what that looked like for you guys and your family and your work and like, are are you willing to share that? So um, I'll start kind of in the summer before I went to treatment in November. So that summer I was really using drugs hard from the office and I would use real hard one week and I would pay the price the next week through withdrawals and everything else and swear off drugs and then do it the same. And I realized that I was going down like there was going to be drugs a, were getting, there was, was going to be an overdose. Drugs were changing at some too. point. Like drugs were getting stronger. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, there was going to be an overdose at some point. Yeah, like weird IV drug using like it was escalating. Yeah. And um so I I ended up getting in touch with a recovery group that is set up through the Georgia Dental Association and talking to the lead counselor of this group. And it's actually a group that I'm still a part of today. And I ended up going down and going to some meetings and that sort of stuff, but I still wasn't telling the truth. Like I wanted to just go and like have this neat little package story, you know, yep. and then just get better and be done with it. And let's, let's go back to like, I had this surgery, the way they gave me these pills. I've had a hard time. Let me go to a couple meetings. I'll get over we'll tie this. A bow on this. Yeah, yeah. Nobody will know. It'll be clean. We can do go back to to living our lives. You were you're still using. Oh yeah. Okay. Going to the meetings. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Um. And then, you know, again, it's ups and downs. Like I would I would go through a week without using, and then I would celebrate that I didn't use on a Friday. I remember distinctly doing that. Like saying, look, man, I haven't used in like two weeks. I'm going to use, I'm going to have something right now. And it was, that's just the insanity of it. Yeah. That's the, that's the disease of, that's what category, in my mind, that's what categorizes it as as a disease. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. It's insane. I would call, that's this, I would say instead of insanity, it's the sickness like that, that is, you know what I mean? It's like freaking, yeah, totally. Yes. Um, that summer, Lee, is there, did you start to realize what was happening? Yeah, that's my question. Right. Yeah. Um, so that summer, no. So the the time in our marriage where I was kind of most keenly aware that something was going on was right around the time we were about to have our second son. So um, about a year before he we went to treatment, um, I was at the gym like 38 weeks pregnant doing kettlebell swings you go woman (laughs) so cool and um, oh my gosh my back was hurting like when I came home like I was like laying down and my dear sweet husband was like you should call your doctor and you should this is it's like you should call your doctor if your back's hurting like you know you should check in and I'm like no no anyway um he like calls my OB for me and tells him what I did. And, you know, you can't like call in narcotics. So he like drives up to the hospital to like meet my OB to like get this prescription, takes it to get filled for me. And at first I'm like, it's really going above and beyond to help me. And I, 
I don't typically take medicine like in general um, or support of the opposite in that way. I think I took like one and then didn't touch it. And then at some point I looked and I was like, I could tell that they were missing. And I looked and the quantity had been like rubbed where you couldn't see mm -hmm. the quantity of pills on the pill bottle. I did that too. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I go to him and I'm like, so I'm like looking at him and there's not many in there. And I'm like, I took like one and I'm pretty sure there's like 30. And so I confronted him about it and I'm pretty sure he lied. Um, I'm sure I did. Yeah. Um, so that was one of those things where I was like, like mm -hmm. <clears throat> that seems off. And then I remember when I went into labor at like two in the morning, cause that's like what happens. I couldn't get him up. Like I'm trying to wake him up and he's like nonsensical. I'm like, I'm having contractions. He's like, are they two minutes apart? I'm like, no. He's like, well then wake me up when they're two minutes apart. <laughs> it goes back to bed. So I had to like wrestle this man out of the bed. And when we were at the hospital, like it's one of like, it's one of the sadder stories because it was the birth of our, our second baby. And he was just kind of out of it. Like people would come in the room and he'd call him the wrong name. Like he'd be like, Hey John, I'm like that's, that's not, that's not John. And he, and like, he's sleeping on the cot. I'm like, I'm the one over here like in labor and he's, he's just worn out. Um, so that was like one of those times where I like, I think we had a talk and I was like, what is going on? So he was, you know, it gives you like that just half truth, just enough to be like, yeah, I've been, I've been taking a few pain pills and, and his father's a physician. I'm like, you need to go talk to your dad. Like that was my like line in the sand. Like you've got to talk to somebody. You need to go talk to your dad. So this was like that year before. Um, so he calls his dad. You called your dad? No. You told me you called your dad. I thought we were up there. I thought we went up there. I don't know. There was some point where he's like, I'm going to go talk to him. Because I, you don't know. Am I yelling? Mm-mm. You don't know who to talk to. Mm -hmm. um, like I didn't know what the, I didn't know what the, um, like what the next move was. And so I think we were like, you know, talk, talk to somebody. And he's like, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to somebody. I'll, I'll talk to my dad. I'll tell him what's going on. And I think his dad was like, yeah, you should stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, no, I, I didn't mean, tell him the truth. Right. Like, yeah, I told him I was struggling yeah, I didn't tell him that. I told him I, I think I had a hard time getting off pills, you know. You know, and it's like, well, you, you think you can beat it? Just stop. And he's like, yeah, I can. It's like, okay. And he tells me, I'll talk to him. I'm like, okay. Like, I just felt like I needed to, to do, we needed to do something. And to me, that was like, we did something. And then we would go a long time without anything else happening. So I would sort of be able to, like, put it in the back of my mind that it was normal and it was handled. Yeah. Oh, I totally get, yeah, I totally get that, Lee. I think the the core of that is we, ha we in this, the positions that we were in, we had not come to the realization that we were completely powerless over this disease. So, like, we, we still were holding on to the hope, like, well, I can give, I can give Ryan some advice, and it's going to fix this problem, and then we're just going to move on with life, right? Absolutely. Uh, and, and until we came to the conclusion, at least I did, that, okay, there is nothing that I can do. There is no piece of advice I can give. There is nothing that I can say. All I can do is, is be here to wash the dishes and cook food or support, just a support element. That's all we, that's all we can do.
Right. Cause we wouldn't have called it addiction even then. Like, I think I would just kind of chalk it up to like, just, you know, maybe he just drank a little too much or yeah, he could always justify and he, and always it was like, you got the tip of the iceberg of what was actually going on. Uh-huh. So you would you know, be like, well, I did this and my back was kind of hurting. So I just took a couple and I'm like, well, how many did you t-? just a couple? I'm like, okay, well that's a little weird, but okay. Well, I, I kept, I kept going to work. Yeah. I kept showing up. I was going to say showing up for things. I kept doing all the normal things. You're functioning. Yeah. I mean, he, he did. I was functioning until the end when people were like, dude, what is wrong with you? You were, you were going to school. He was doing excellent dental school. I mean, amazing with his patients. Great with your grades. So when, okay. What was, when did the wheels fall off? And, And, and it was like, and it was time. You you made the he, decision. He pulls it, the pin and throws the. Grenade. Yeah, like we gotta go. All right, we we it's about to be over if we don't do something here. Right. Yeah. So that that came um, at work. So the the guy I worked for confronted me um, on on whether I was using drugs or not, and this was the second time he had asked me that summer because he had noticed some things. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very observant person and he would, he had noticed that I had changed like my behaviors and, um, you know, I couldn't tell that, but he, they noticed it. Wow. He noticed it. And I think some of the other people in the office did. And, um, and he, the second time this was probably November November 16th, 2015. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it's he, a big moment. He asked it me was again a, on a Tuesday. And it was one of those moments <laughs> where I finally said yes. And like I said earlier, like that was part of the burden was gone. The fear was real at the moment because I didn't know what was going to happen from there. What did he say? He yeah, said, I was, I, look, I've noticed your behavior. Something's going on. Are you using drugs? And I've asked him like why you didn't lie that time. That's a good question. I, I was so sick and tired of... Like being sick and tired, mm. like they say in AA. That we say that a lot. We're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Like I felt like I had tried everything I could to stop using drugs and alcohol, and nothing worked. And so I was just sick of it. Mm-hmm. It's like you just kind of collapsed. Like, it was one of those. It's it's also a faith moment. Like telling somebody the truth. Like you got to have some faith to do that. Like that was a, a glimpse, just a small little piece of faith that was building for me at that moment um, that something better is going to come about, mm-hmm. you know? And um, man, that was a hard week. <sighs> that was a hard week. Cause um, I didn't, I didn't go back to the office. Um, I ended up trying to get, fortunately I had been going to this group trying to get sober um, with the, the lady I was telling you about earlier that works with the Georgia dental association. And so she's, she gave me a recommendation on a treatment center to go to. And I ended up leaving to go to that treatment center that Friday. When did you come to Lee? So on right Tuesday. Right after I left work. Okay. So I was at home um, dressing our three-year-old like a turkey for his <laughs> Thanksgiving. <laughs> How random. So true. Pageant. It's true. And Ryan walks in and I can tell on his face, like he walks in at like 4, 4.30. So he's home early. And I'm like, came home early to help me get him ready so we could all go to church together and go to his pageant and i'm looking at his face and i remember i was standing in the kitchen i don't even know if he got past the door i did he came in the the garage door and he looks at me and he said 
I need to go to rehab. And I'm like putting a feathered hat on the three-year-old. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Mm -hmm. He's like, he's just blank. He's like, I have to go to rehab. And I like send him off to play. And I'm like, what do you mean you need to go to rehab? And he's like, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to have to go to rehab. And I think my first question was for how long? And he's like 90 days. And I'm like 30. I mean, I feel like this was our conversation. It was very, very similar to that. I think um, I'm like 30. You cannot be gone for 90 days. He's like, they said it's a 90 day program. And so this is, I mean, I know we don't have time for my story, but this is how I operate. I compart- we do. I compartmentalize. I mean, like my life, like I compartmentalize and move on. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you're going to stay here with the baby and I'm going to take him to church. I'm dressing him as a turkey and I'm going to church and we're going to talk about this later. So I was like, mm. I'm going. Like I just shut, I shut down business as usual, went to church hi, how are you? Talked to everybody, did the Thanksgiving thing and came home. And that night I remember, you know, you'll say things like, I didn't sleep all night. Like I literally don't think we went to sleep that night. Like I just cried all night. And he told me I'm an addict and I have to go to treatment. And they say it's a 90 day minimum. And I, at that point, like I said, there were the things in the past. So it's like, I felt like I'd been blindsided. Um, There were of course things in my mind where I'm like, but also I do know there's something going on, but never in my life would I've ever thought it was as bad as it was. I never thought he'd have to go to inpatient treatment. I never thought it would be that long. Um, So between Tuesday, we dropped him off in Atlanta at treatment that Friday morning. So I had like 72 hours to process. Um, In those hours, I got up and went to work. Um, the next morning, like a friend brought her child in, like, I have a picture of me, like holding the, her child, like for her first dental visit, like, like nothing's happening. It's the next day. So I worked that week. Um, a couple of amazing guys in the dental community took the day off, a couple days off work to basically babysit him because someone, I can't remember who talked to them. Someone spoke with them and told them that he would probably try to get in and use again. He tried to use mm-hmm. again and unintentionally or intentionally kill himself. You would overdose because you're trying to get as much as you can in before you go to treatment because oh, yeah. you know the withdrawals are coming. Yeah. And they also had him on like suicide watch because mm-hmm. of how, like, I mean, how bad it feels in that moment. Yeah, I was very thankful for those guys. Um, they, they drove him around. They took him to go buy sheets and like things for rehab. Yeah, to get ready for Like they took their, treatment. their time off work and I am just went to work kind of just shutting down and like having a really hard time processing what was happening. I bet. So we took him and dropped him off on that Friday and, um, Mar, the treatment facilities he's at, it's one of, I mean, it's like no phone, no communication. I th- you yeah. could write a letter. I have letters. Yeah. Yeah. I have some letters. Um, but yeah, so it was like that weekend I'm at home and he's gone. Like it was really within the span of three days that, it I was learned, a whirlwind. I learned he was an addict. He'd lost his job. And he was now in Atlanta in rehab for a minimum of three months. And I had, the boys were three and one, just term one. And you were working full time. And I was working. And they were babies. Well, I, and I, there's so much, to, <laughs> how you managed, like, how did you manage that? Uh, 
Well, the I, first thing I did was throw a coffee mug through our front window. So there's some so, anger involved. Rage. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, he I, had he had the same reaction. I can relate to that. Yeah. yeah. I was washing, and it was like a pla- It was plastic. It wasn't even like a metal. It was one of those like cheap plastic travel mugs. And I was just, he was still there. I was standing there just like doing dishes, washing dishes. And then I just turned and it went through the kitchen, through the dining room and out the front window and into the yard. Yep. Mm. Which is like, Chad had a few similar moments and you're already like not, you, you guys had no idea what you were dealing with. Like y'all were in it, you know, new too, but like, absolutely, yeah. man, the shame that you're already carrying and then to see the people you love the most going through something that extreme because of what you did. Oh man. Dude. Like, and, and you're newly sober. I don't, did you stay sober those days when the guys were watching you or were you able no, to I sneak? Went, I, I got some more. Okay. I figured. Yeah. His I date's like, not until the day he got like dropped could, off. Yeah. Same sobriety date. And I want to ask Ryan for, for listeners that are listening to this, that are currently bound by addiction and they haven't been to recovery yet. Uh, but it's something that they're, you know, considering or, or, or they want that freedom, right? Like, what what does it feel like when you're getting dropped off? Mm. You've made this decision. You're there. You're about to breach the doors of this recovery center. Like, what are the what is that experience like? Like, what what can other people maybe expect so they're not so. Maybe they're not so nervous about it. I don't know. I don't know if this is going to help. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it, it, it's so when, just when Lee, be real, man. Yeah, when Lee dropped me off, man, the, the way I've described it to other people is that I was dripping in shame, like walking into that facility. And I, I was, you know, pretty hopeless at that point. And um, very, just, I mean, the shame was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Like, I can describe it feeling guilty and all that kind of stuff. But the shame was just, I mean, it was heavy. And, um, and you know, you just feel like you've let everyone down and you're just going to live this crappy life, Mm -hmm. maybe getting sober, but who cares if you get sober? Cause that's, that's no fun. That's no fun anyways. And so it was, how are you going to enjoy anything? Oh man, that was, it's hard to think about that. Honestly, that's, that's, that's a hard part. And you know, to have not been there with uh, the birth and stuff. That's, those are still hard areas for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whew. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, man, it's like, Shame. It it seems like one of the core elements of this disease is the lies that it produces. It's like because all because all of the all of the shame that you are experiencing as you're about to go into this place, like the truth was the truth is you are about to go in here and and like recover and become whole and experience freedom for the first time in no telling how long. Yeah. And but you're just, you're, the disease is telling you all these lies, but you can't delineate between what's the lie and the no, truth. No, you can't tell what's what's true and what's false. Yeah, that's powerful. You you can't you can't grasp not being sober and and being fulfilled. Mm-hmm. You can't grasp that. 
Yeah, so when true. You're, when you're using. Wow. Anytime you go to do anything, like if you're going to a family function, if you're going to the lake with friends, if you're going out to dinner, anything you have to use to, to like feel like you're enjoying it, but that's part of the the lies too. It's right. all a lie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but you think if I'm going to show up for this and like be who I need to be, I need to use beforehand. Well, the thing about using for me, so I'm more of an introvert. And so when I would use narcotics, I would feel energetic mm-hmm. and outgoing. And so that's who I wanted to be mm-hmm. is energetic and outgoing. And so that's why that drug like fit me well. It was my drug of choice at the end because it it did that for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I and I, I don't I I've always thought, it, and you guys have much better perspective on it than I do, but I've always thought there's some spiritual component to addiction, uh, more so than than other diseases and other sicknesses. There's some sort of spiritual component because. Not only part of the 12 steps is you have to submit basically to a higher power, right? So the, even even the process has recognized the spiritual component. But for me, that core foundation of the lies that this disease produces, and the Bible tells us Satan is the father of lies. And it's like, man, there's it's just such a weird I, I I've never been able to quite put my finger on it, but yeah. there is got the, would you agree with that? Is absolutely. there a spiritual component to it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. It's I, a, it's a huge component. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want, uh, I would like to hear whoever wants to go first. I would like to hear Lee, Lee from you about what that night was it. Not, did it not be a 90 days? It was 106, 106. Okay. So good for, on you for health professionals. You have to go minimum of 90 days. Okay. So I want to hear what that 106 days was like for you, Lee, and what it was like for you, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's like I always told him. It felt like he like pulled the pin, threw a grenade, and left. Um, it's kind of what I did. It's yeah. <laughs> you so, had to, though, to save I your did. life. I did. Absolutely. Yeah, if, I did. If you took time to think about it, it's, or like right. you could have either threw that grenade or you could have laid down on top of it and let right. it freaking kill you. Right. Mm-hmm. I, so was, there was, I was gonna start lying again if if that hadn't happened. Right. It had to happen fast. Yeah. Um but yeah, so it it landed in November. So we were we were going through Thanksgiving, Christmas holidays. We had an anniversary trip planned, my birthday. It was a mm. lot of stuff. So um you know, it's like we're we're kind of so far out of it. I can look back and like see the good. Um, but trying to think like in the moment it was just, it was dark. Like I would get home from work. It would be dark. Um, it was just like a dark and cold time of year. And I just, my mom would come over. She, I grew up here. So she would come over at night, help me bathe boys and get them in bed. Um, I would have a few girlfriends that would come by occasionally, like after I put the kids in bed and they'd come by and like, we just sit and talk. Did they all know? Um, so the thing with Ryan that at the, time was gut-wrenching and now has been the biggest gift is everybody knew i mean he was fired from his job immediately mm-hmm. everyone in the dental community knew which kind of you know our church you know people knew um so there was no like he wasn't taking a break or on vacation <clears throat> like he was he was gone how freeing for you though to to get the support 
in hindsight, yes. In the moment, like I was still trying to figure out how do how do we downplay this? And it was one of those I was like, there there is no downplaying this. Like this is what it is. Um, that's that's one of those God doing for you what you can't do for yourself. Absolutely. Moments. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, in a weird way though, that that December was such an such a beautiful Christmas season in a weird way because it really stripped away. We still try to maintain this even now. It stripped away everything because just like from my family history, um, I grew up with a single mom. My father was an alcoholic who left when we were four. Mm. Um, and then he, we never really interacted or saw him again. And he, he died when I was 14. So I never had a chance to get to know him. Um, so I didn't know him or his stories, but from what I'm told, he was an alcoholic and that was a big part of why they got divorced and he left. Um, so just like having that cycle happen again, um, like that's why I started out just so angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think I remember you saying like Blake was like the big supporter of like like standing up for you guys and your marriage. Like yeah. I had. So, That's the question I just wrote down. Did you ever think of divorce? So, I, I wouldn't get to that. Yeah. Whenever, so but. early on, and this is, so I was raised by a single mom. My family is fantastic. Like she would come over. She's so supportive, but we did have that history and that's, you know, part of her story. So her pretty much immediate re- response was you're going to be okay. Um, you know, you're going to be fine. Like you're still young. I mean, it was very much like, like mm. there's no hope for Ryan. Yeah. Like he's an addict. Mm. Like you're still young. The kids are young. We'll sell this house. We'll get you an like, we'll, we'll get you a house in our neighborhood. Um, kind of like, we're just going to kind of downsize everything. You're going to be okay. Um, like terrible advice. I got a lot of terrible advice, but, too. but you know, that's her experience and yeah. her story. And yeah. it was like the, I want to protect you from, you know, what she went through. Cause that's like, he never recovered. And so she's not seen, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they tried for, I mean, a long time, I think before he left. So, you know, I didn't have, like, I think a lot of people expected us to get divorced mm-hmm. and to leave town and, or, um, so I, I did, I, didn't have a lot of support on sticking it out. What a vulnerable place to be into already. And then people are telling you like, he's not going to get better. And and nobody, yeah, nobody was saying that directly, but I think it was just like a protective of me kind of mode. Makes sense. Like, yeah. You know, like if he's really a drug addict, like what's, I mean, that's why we try to tell these stories is that so many people don't hear stories of, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people don't hear good stories they about don't. recovery. Yeah. And right. the hope is it can be pretty minimal. That's I went and got um, an anchor tattoo um, while he was in treatment. That's another good thing to do when somebody's in treatment is <laughs> go down to Broad Street and get a tattoo. Um, what the heck? So this is my like hope anchors the soul. It's my like Bible verse. I went and got my, my hope tattoo. Why are you so cool? <laughs> you ain't got a tattoo? Yeah. She did. I did. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So yeah, um, that's, that's the, the key is just if your spouse is in recovery, just go get some tattoos. It'll be all good. Um, but yeah, that Christmas season was really dialed down. Like it was just me and the boys. And like, so Christmas was just, um, truly just about Christmas. Cause we're not getting invited at any parties and people are kind of, you know, mm-hmm. people are supportive, but also 
um, you're kind of on your own. Well, what do you, what do you say? What are they going to say? Right. Like, Lee, how's it, how's it going? But they don't want to open that right. can of worms, you know? Right. Um, I remember they right. called me from Ryan's rehab center and sometime mid-December. Matt called and he was like, hey, we need to bring Ryan up there. We need to come get his truck. And I was like, no, you can't have his truck. And they're like, well, the thing is the guys, they all stay in an apartment and they commute over to the rehab center. And they're like, most of these guys don't have driver's licenses. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we got a driver. They need a driver. So we need to come get his truck. And this is, I remember I put up all the Christmas decorations. I put up all the Christmas lights as like a like middle finger up to Ryan to be like, oh, you're coming to get your truck. Well, I put up. Well, I don't need you. I don't need you. There's a candle in the windows, the trees up. And I mm. stripped that truck. I was like a psycho. I mean, pulling up all the floor mats, emptying every. Well, rightfully so. The anger held on is anger what I'm held hearing. On. Anger held on for a while. Um, I ended up, of course, like the week <laughs> he was gone, I went and was in a counselor's chair. Um, and I'd never been to therapy. Good for and you. I, I remember sitting down and I was like, first off, I want to be real clear. I don't want to talk about me. I don't want to talk about my family of origin. We're here to talk about my husband and what's wrong with him. <laughs> Oh my mm. gosh. <laughs> when she let me get by with that for like three sessions and then she's like, we're going to need to talk about you and your issues. Cause not everybody gets ragey and throws things through windows. Mm-hmm. They get kind of concerned. That's Up, great. Upset. <laughs> they get upset, but like maybe they're more concerned and you're out here pitching stuff through, through windows yeah. and um, literally sending them like a stripped truck with like nothing in it. Um, so yeah, I had some stuff. It was, it was good. Cause I had some stuff to work through on when, my own. When did that, when did that anger uh, begin to transition or subside? So, I mean, so around like the 30 day mark, he could call, he was able to make phone calls. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a cell phone, but he could call from the treatment. It facility. was three weeks. Yeah. Three weeks. Um, so yeah, it's, it was, you know, it's like the stages of grief. So I just started out just angry. I think part of it, like I just didn't want to see that cycle of what, my brother and I had been through like the thought of that somehow I felt like I'd done everything right. Mm-hmm. Like I worked really hard in school. I went to Georgia. I got into dental school. I did a residency. I was chief resident. I had this great job. Like I'm in this neighborhood that, you know, I'd always wished I could be in. I drove a car that, you know, didn't make loud rambly metal banging noises. <laughs> Not anymore. Not <laughs> like anymore. When I had dental school. Uh, I was chasing this dream. Mm-hmm of what I thought life, what I thought the good life looked Mm -hmm. like. And it was very much like fitting into this mold of like, now I'm a dentist and now we don't live paycheck to paycheck and we're going to be in this crowd and be invited to these parties. And like, I was very focused on building this very superficial, but like that was my dream was to build this, this Instagram beautiful life. Yeah. And he had, he, not me, of course, that, you mm-hmm. know, in my mind, somehow I had missed it and he had ruined it and mm-hmm. he had like, Oh, I totally ruined it. <laughs> that's, <laughs> totally that's, a, that's an honest it. statement. Totally ruined it. You know, what's interesting to me though, is, is the, it sounds like a, a big part or maybe even the root of the anger that you were experiencing was the fear of losing Absolutely. those things. And it's Absolutely. weird how to, when you think about that, fear a lot of times is is the is what's causing the anger Mm -hmm. i don't know i just Mm -hmm. i thought that yeah i mean i was terrified like 
how are we going to pay for things? Like, because yeah. I was working three days a week, so then I picked up some extra days um, so I could kind of support us. Because, mm -hmm. um, I mean, like I said, he lost his job. Rehab is not inexpensive. Um, and so then it started to segue from being ragey and angry and fearful of where we were going to go to then I had to face like, okay, like where are we going to go? Mm -hmm. um, like there had to be, there was a decision that had to be made and it was, do I think that my husband is just a horrible human being who doesn't care about me, who doesn't care about his boys? Like, is he as, because I mean, if that's, if we don't believe that it's a disease, like, is he just like, I've just happened to marry like the most hateful, selfish mm. human on the planet. Yeah. Or is there something else going on? Yep. Mm. So I went down to Mar. They did um, like a two day retreat or two day like informational course for um, people who love an addict, I think was, yeah. I think the title of it. Um, so I went down and I sat in the room and they did basically like a continuing education type course where they had different people come in and talk about like the science behind addiction, um, why people do what they do. And you slowly start to see like other people in the room are telling, like you said, like they didn't care about themselves, the people they loved, their children, their parents, their siblings, sex, their own bodies. Like if they don't care about these things, like something has a hold on them that is more than just a choice because I just, like I said, I, I drank in college some, we drank in dental school. And then when I finished school, I just, it wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't something I did. Um, like he would laugh, like I would drink half a glass of wine and leave it. He's like, I would see you put half I, a glass of wine in the sink. And I'm like, I could ne never figure out how that would happen. Yeah. Like how could you leave a half a glass of wine? So I just didn't have that yep. mindset. And so I didn't understand like in my mind before I dealt with him, my mindset would have been just stop. Like why don't addicts just stop? Yeah. Um, but then I had postpartum depression after my first one. And even and before that I was the same with people with depression. Like, <clears throat> like just, just don't be depressed. Like don't do that. Get up and do something. Get up and do go something. Go run. Yeah. Get up, go run. Yeah. Go huh. get out in the sun. Yeah. You know, and then I went through that period. And I'm like, okay, I can see how people can get to a dark place to where like, if I could have like flipped a switch and just not existed, like I truly had convinced myself that no one would care. So I was like, okay, I went through something kind of dark that I didn't understand and they had to help me get out of it. So I was like, I at least owe it to him to try to understand. Mm. Um, Cause I, I do really like him. <laughs> <laughs> I do really like him. Um, so I, I kind of had to make the switch in my head. Like, what do I believe about addiction? Do I believe this is a disease? Mm. Um, and so when I got on board with that, he had a disease and it wasn't just him being like a total jerk. Um, I felt like I wasn't going to give up on him and that it was going to be painful and messy, but we had a three-year-old and a one-year-old that he adored and that adored him. And like, I owed it to them to, to stand by him and, and ha hold on to that hope. Mm -hmm. So that, that hope, like the hope is going to anchor my soul. Like I work at a surgery center here in Rome and there's a precious, one of our um, nurse anesthetists, Miss Beth, 
You know how you said you had an email that you kept? She sent yeah. me an email. It's still on my phone. It's like December of 2015. She sent me Isaiah 4110. Um, and I just remember like, fear not for I am with you. And that was what I would just hold on to that hope and just try to tell myself. Because I mean, I don't think it's like you're not supposed to fear, but just when you fear, like know that he is with you. Mm-hmm. I've always been a very controlling person. Um, like I said, I kind of like, that's how I can compartmentalize. Um, like with my dad leaving, um, there was a really bad divorce when I was 16 with my mom and another stepfather that was kind of borderline abusive. Um, I'd been through some things and I was always able to just like keep that in a box and move forward. Mm -hmm. Um, I was good at school. So I just kind of used that and just ran with it. That's why I did great in high school I went to Georgia and then like dental school and like I was always able to work my way out of it control my way into getting what I wanted mm-hmm. um me too in a way I, I yeah even with like big challenges like I I would just okay you know we're gonna yeah. have to do it this is what we're gonna do um and this was the first time where I was like you said I was just sitting there like that December January at home with the kids in the dark trying to figure out how we're going to pay for this and what the next move is. And I remember thinking like, I, I cannot fix this. Like this is, um, I'd always considered myself a Christian. Um, but like I didn't go to church when I was in school, you know, I wasn't seeking out church in dental school. Um, you know, I, I went on mission trips just out of like kind of a serving mindset. But if people wanted me to give a testimony, I was like, I don't talk like that. Like I, I listen to hip hop and I cuss a little bit and I, I don't, I don't, I'm not comfortable. I don't have a testimony. I just want to be, I just want to be a good person and help yeah. you. So I also, I was sort of faced with like, is he an addict? Like if he is an addict, like, what does that mean to you? You can't control this. So What's like, are you going to, if you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, like, are you going to give this up to God and trust that he has something for you in this and that he can, you know, help Ryan get sober? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, everything we have kind of hinges on sobriety. Yes. That's kind of the big thing. But um, so it was just like a mindset shift of like, I finally was like my rock bottom in that I couldn't fix it. Yeah. I couldn't outsmart it. I couldn't <laughs> outwork it. Um, couldn't talk us out of it. Like everybody knew my husband was in rehab mm-hmm. and you know, um, I just had to kind of see where it took us. And, and he was the one that, I mean, he, he did the work. I mean, it was 106 days in rehab and um. I think they've said like one of the only reasons he was able to come home at that point and not be in three quarters um, was because he was coming home to like a sober house. Mm. So he was able to come home. Yeah. She had gone up there, like she said, and they knew her and they, they knew that um, she believed this was a disease. And like I said, that's, or like she said, that's, that's one of the reasons I got to go home right after. Yeah. So yeah, he left in November and he came home in March. How was that 106 days for you, Ryan? It was, um, it's, it's some of the hardest time in my life and, um, probably one of the most fulfilling times in my life. Um, it was a lot of hard work. Um, and it, it, the work 
was I felt like I just had to like rip myself open, mm -hmm. like pull, pull back the sheets, you know, and just trust that these people are going to help me with this thing. And, um, being away from Lee and the kids was terrible. Like it was terrible. That's a long time. That's a deployment. Yeah. 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 And, um, I was close to the boys, um, and, and Lee, like we were always together. Um, even when I was using and stuff like that. And so it was, golly, I remember leaving Sim. He was three at the time and I just, my heart was just, oh, it was hurting. I mean, just physical pain yeah, as well as emotional and psychological pain. Like it was just brutal. What was your detox like? My detox wasn't that bad. Um, you had plenty of practice at the detox cycle, didn't you? It was just one more of those cycles. Yeah. Can I just really? say I've never met somebody who who would quit and go through withdrawals and like keep working. Dude, are you no way I could have worked. It was no miserable. No freaking way. Yeah, it was miserable. Like puking, crapping, sweating, cold sweats. I, ne I never threw up. I, I hardly ever th threw up. Really? Anytime. Yeah. But um yeah. Yep, all oh. the other stuff I did. Check, check, check. Yep. So that was the easy part then. Yeah, yeah. Compared to... Um, feeling school. Feeling school. Going to feeling school. Mm. Yeah. And treatment. Well, talk to me about that. What What were some of the, 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 the most beneficial parts of, of that treatment program? Like, what helped you the most? I mean, so the first thing for me was like truly thinking this was a disease and that I'm not just a bad person and that if you got help, you could, you know, grow from there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they, they did a great job of educating us on that and talking about it as a disease. And, um, cause if, if, if I didn't think that I wouldn't be on this podcast, like I wouldn't be sober right now if, if I thought it was anything other than a disease. Yeah. Because then I'm just a bad person. Yeah. You know? We like to say turd. Turd. On podcasts. Yeah. Then I would then be a turd. just a total turd. <laughs> yeah. You can't get anywhere when you just think you're a turd. Right. You know? <laughs> no, you're just stuck. Yeah. Yeah. No um, pun intended. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and so that the first the first thing was, you know, accepting that first step of, of AA, which is... Um, we admitted we were uh, powerless over alcohol and that our lives became, had become unmanageable. So the first part of that is I can't control this thing. Like it's got control over me. Yeah. And it does whatever it wants to do. Wow. Basically. Hmm. And the second part is I can't manage it well enough to control, control it. Mm -hmm. And my life is spinning out of control because of that. Mm -hmm. Everything around me. Um, and, and, you know, I had, I saw some glimpses of what a life in sobriety would look like. So, um, right after the summer before I went to treatment, I was going down to some of the meetings that I go to now to try to get sober, mm -hmm. but still without telling the, the whole truth and that sort of thing. But I saw one guy, so one guy, um, like they, they were talking about being honest and that sort of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, we're supposed to be honest. You know, my parents taught me that we're supposed to be honest. But um, seeing someone else being honest is like, 
it, it's a moving experience really is if they're being vulnerable and being honest. So this one guy had to, um, he was telling us about talking to a DEA agent and cause he had gotten his DEA taken and he was like, I don't think I told them about all the drugs that I did. And they were like, Oh, okay. Well, you need to call them back and you need to tell them the other drugs that you were doing. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, I'll do that. And he freaking did it. Dang it, man. Like, he called <laughs> this agent back and did it be- so that he, he could be honest. Like, he, he had, they'd already passed. Like, he had already, yeah. he was already going to get the thing that he w- had set up to get. But he was more concerned with that honesty. Wow. Like, within. And, um, man, getting emotional thinking about it. And it wasn't even my story. Um, and it was one of those things that, like, gave me that courage like in in treatment, I, I I think of it as like courage is contagious, man. You see some other people be courageous and 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 do something like that. Like I got to feed off that, mm-hmm. you know. And I did, and I used that um, in the in the group therapy, and I loved group therapy, and I still do. Okay. And um, it it was it's something that's worked for me, and I could relate to people. Um, and it's just a way of like, uh, it's just another way of connecting with people. Kind of like we're, we're here today doing this, Mm -hmm. you know, um, there's just a certain connection you get with people, uh, when you come together, especially, um, in this scenario where we're all just trying to stay sober or most of us are, yeah, not all of us, but most of us are, you know, um, and then I, I, I really got close with, um, the lead counselor, that I had. And I think he kind of latched on to me also because, um, well, we both play golf and we're big fans. So there's a connection there. But I think the biggest thing was that he thought he realized that I was willing to do, to do the work and to, to do whatever the heck it took to get sober. Cause that's what, that's what I had to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so he latched on to me and he rode me pretty hard. Now he was, he was one of those that I, He's like a, you know, I love him to death, and and I think he truly loves me, and he he rode me hard because he wanted he knew I would do it, and I he he could see that I could turn the corner on this thing. Wow, what was the like? You went in hopeless, thinking life is really not worth living sober. What what at what point did you have the change of like what you're referring to? Like I'm gonna do this. Um, that's a good question too. So, um, I guess it's, it's a bunch of little steps, I think. Um, I don't think there's just this one moment Mm -hmm. where I was like, this is the way I'm going to do it. Or this is the way I'm going to go. I think it, it took a lot of little things. One, like, like that was telling you about the guy being truthful, like for his own sake. Um, and then another time. So when I got to treatment, I, I got there on Friday and then Saturday, they had this big banquet, um, and it's a recovery banquet. They do it every November. Every November, and we've been after to go to it. And I'm like, oh my god, this is the like this is the last thing I want to do is to go to some banquet. Yeah, they're gonna like, they're gonna they load told, up all the guys that are in treatment. In they're gonna treatment. take them to the banquet. Oh god, and, it's a fun, and you're it's the a kids fun, in rehab. We're, we're the, the kids, kids in rehab. rehab. Oh, I hate and that. And it's a fundraiser 
it's and like it's a, like it's like a black tie oh gala. I wanted to just crawl under the building. Oh man! And so you got to bring nice clothes and all this kind of stuff. And I was still going through the motions at that point. I was still smiling and doing those things that you're supposed to do in society to to stay hidden, you know. Um, and so I get there, and what I realized was that these were all the people that had been through the rehab. Like, this is not like outside people. Wow. This, these are like alumni, and they're showing up to this thing um, well, tell them smiling. How you, thought, you thought it was going to be like in a dark oh, closet yeah. in the basement of a church like right. with bad coffee like every AA meeting. So it was, at the, uh, <laughs> yes. it, was, it was at the Cobb Galleria, which if you've ever been to the Cobb Galleria, it's huge. Yeah. It's enormous. And I'm like, I've been there before for like some some other thing. Like they have a closet. I'm like, this must be in a room in the basement or something. <laughs> it's gonna be a dark room. It's gonna be sad. Yeah, bunch and, of sober people. Right. Bad coffee. Bad coffee. Definitely. Terrible stories. Yeah. Like this is what I had pictured. Yeah. And that's not that's not even close to what it was. It was this huge event. Tons of alumni came, and it was a celebration. And I, you know, it was just, wow. it's trying to change my, my thought of like this from this decrepit kind of gray life that I was going to live. And there was a little bitty like glimpse of hope, like a light way off that I could see because of this event that was like, people are happy. It seems like they are. I don't know if they're making mm. it up or not. Like, I really didn't know at the time whether yeah. they were full of it or not. Yeah. And thank God people, I mean, the community of addicts that are in recovery, the amount of work they put in to help people yeah, yeah. that are that haven't began that healing process yet, thank God for that, man. Well, even this, I mean, I don't, you said you've shared your story before, but like, I don't think, I didn't think last year when I started sharing my story on the podcast, actually, and on some other podcasts, I didn't, I was like, I'm doing such a good thing, and this is so great, and then there's this whiplash of vulnerability and emotions Oh yeah. of, like, I thought about it, oh my gosh, I thought about it when Lee was talking about the boys and stuff, I just thought about you, and I'm like, I want to protect you, I know you probably have experienced already, but like what you guys are doing right now is part of that work. Yeah, I it mean, because it's not fun. Like y'all probably are. You might not feel great for the next few days. Right. It, it, we call it a, a vulnerability hangover. Yeah, it's legit, mm. and it's a sacrifice that you're making for hope and for other yes. people. And Lord knows we well, need it. You know, I needed that when I was going through too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean that those were the little dots that started lighting up the room for me. You know. Of, of hearing those stories and it's like god these these people look like they're happy i just don't i don't know if it's real or not yep so but i did, gotta try it so how did your but um, i gotta try it how did your faith change while you're in treatment oh yeah i mean why are you still in my questions lee sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah is she allowed to ask questions i, I, I don't know <laughs> I, I, I just had to think when you guys were saying that someone is going to listen to this podcast and it's going to be that little glimpse of light that you're talking about right now. Well, somebody's going to, I I know, without a, beyond a shadow of a doubt, somebody's going to listen to this, and that's what it's going to be for them. Yeah. And one day part of their story is going to be, I, I heard this podcast, mm. 
Yeah, that's it's going to happen. That's how it works. Um, continue with answering Lee's question that she <laughs> stole from me. <laughs> well, you know, towards the end, it's it, you get to the bottom, and that bottom is not only like a physical um, and emotional, but also a spiritual bottom that you get to before, or uh, that I got to before I went to treatment, mm-hmm. and um, there was no spiritual connection. Um, with God, I never prayed. I never meditated. Um, the only that now I did pray one time. I remember distinctly. I was still using, and I said, "God, please take this from me." Mm. You know, and um, what I didn't do was go tell somebody I needed help. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't do that part. So that was the part that I I think when I reflect on that of. You know, some people would think that God didn't act in that moment, you know, and what he was doing was saying, I got a bigger picture for you. Mm-hmm. you I'll know? show you how. It's, it's not, we're not keeping this small for you. We're going to use this so that other people can have that hope mm-hmm. that we were just talking about. Yeah. And so that, that gives it meaning, yeah. you know, which we all, we all want that, you know, yeah. we all want to have something in our lives that has meaning. Man, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, getting the treatment, um, I mean, my faith was growing because I was telling the truth, you know, mm. um, and I was trusting that God was, had led me here for a reason. I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out what it was at the moment, you know, and a lot of times in those moments, you don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it. Um, but, um, I knew that he was working through the people around me. Um, I could, you know, I started to, to feel a little more at peace, um, through not only through the knowledge of like knowing that, um, this is a disease, but also like having this new purpose, like mm-hmm. there's a, there, I'm going to have something else to, to share with people after this. Um, you should share your story about, um, when you had to pray in front of your roommate. Oh man. <clears throat> so I get, I get to, I'm in treatment. This is the, one of the first few nights and, um, they had encouraged us to pray in the morning and pray in the evening. Very simple prayer in the morning. God help me. That's it. In the evening, God, thank you. That's it. Mm. And, and they wanted you to do it on your knees. They suggested you do it on your knees. And um, I would do that in the morning because nobody was up, so that was easy. And at night, the the first time I tried to do it, I was laying in bed, and I'm like, "Oh wait, I gotta pray." And I'm in the same room with another guy, like he's a younger guy, very nice guy, um, but he's in the same room. And I was like, "I'll just pray right here. I don't have to get on my knees." And I'm like, "No, this is the same thing I've been doing." Mm. Like. Why, why am I having trouble getting up to pray, like, on my knees? And um, it was just this, I couldn't hardly move. I couldn't hardly get up and do it. And I was like, I am so afraid of what he thinks that I, I can't care for myself and my family. Like, something's wrong with that. And I ended up getting up and doing it. 
And it was one of those steps in the right direction. Mm. Of, mm. I got some issues, man. Like, this is more than just about not drinking and using narcotics. Like, there's more to this story than than what's right here. Mm-hmm. And that was just a a powerful experience because I was just, I was terrified of what he thought, mm-hmm. you know? I love that you're talking about mm-hmm. the little steps instead of, a lot of people do glamorize recovery. Like it's this big overwhelming, like, you know, bam, like, and I just love that your experience is, was my experience. It's like, along with the detox and the emotional work that lasts for years and a lifetime. Oh yeah. Your brain also has to heal. Like yes. when you use, I don't, I, I kind of have an idea of what you use and I used pretty much the same thing for about seven years. And then I also used um, benzos and man, my brain was effed up when I got sober. Yeah. Benzos will like my brain it. was a wreck. Yeah. And I know narcotics do too. Like oh, yeah. you don't, you feel pain is more intense at right when you first get sober. Like yeah. you don't feel as happy for a while. Oh my gosh, no. Uh, it's, I felt, uh, the first year of sobriety, I felt um, like emotions were so raw to me. It was like, I didn't have skin on me to protect mm-hmm. me. You know, it was just right in there into the meat of things. Mm-hmm. Like, they were just raw and I fumbled with them and I I just didn't know what to do with them. Because I've been numbing for, for so long, mm-hmm. like with alcohol to start and then um narcotics like what was it like when you called lee for the first time (laughs) it was an uncomfortable conversation i think i um hit him with the you need to tell me everything i'm tired of finding things out like yeah you did a little bit of time like if you got something to say say it all right now Hmm. i was i was in a real she was no no playing. I don't ever want to be on Lee's back. All side. business. <laughs> Stick to her good side. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> Ryan. It was a, I was in a bad place. I've done a lot of therapies. <laughs> so that conversation didn't go too well. Well, it would, no, it, I told her. Did you? Yeah. Okay. It was our fifth wedding was, anniversary, too. It was uh-uh. our fifth wedding. It was on the day of your fifth. It was on the day. I think he called to tell me at the anniversary. I did. I'm like, happy anniversary. Lay it out there. If you got something that you need to tell yes, me, I don't I'm know I'm pretty yet. sure she was like, here's what I want for my anniversary present. The truth. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I was like, what have you not told me? And there's always more. Ooh. That's the thing. Like, even when he was gone, there's always, mm-hmm. <clears throat> there's always more. Ma'am. So but the first one didn't go great. So after, if there's anything big else in treatment that you want to share... Like, is there anything you can think of that? Um, I got real close to some of my roommates in treatment. Um, and again, they're they're a big part of, of why I'm sober today is because um, I felt like I could be honest with them. And, and they didn't care. Um, you know, they just wanted to see me get well because they were there doing the same thing, you know. And... Um, Having those guys to tell the truth to yeah, was huge for me. Mm. And um, it just started that um, kind of cycle in my life where I could 
start telling the truth on things. Well, I want to know, like, I want to know the recovery story. Like we've, we've gone a long time, but it's so good. Like, like when you got out, obviously we talked about the first year, the raw emotions, but like, how did you guys get from the day you got home from rehab to where you are now? Yeah. So when I picked, picked him up, when I came in, came to rehab, they did family week. So Ooh. I came down for like three days of, like, I don't know, it was, was everybody Did there? y'all have family week? Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 We had an intense oh, family it's week. Oh, it's brutal. I think I threw a chair. She made fun so. of me half the time. <laughs> it was fun. That sounds about right. Yeah. So he came home and I remember our instructions were we had to, every night before bed, we had to do mad, sad, glad. So we had to sit down and be like, what made you mad today? What made you sad today? And we both had to uh-huh. do it. And that was like, so we would communicate. Mm-hmm. Because that was part of it. And it was helping me communicate more than more than her necessarily. Uh, yeah. Um and he was still going back down two or three days a week. Yeah. For treatment during the day. So it was sort of a it was a tapering off from treatment. So I was still driving down three days a week to the treatment facility, um, staying the whole day and then coming back home. And um in the same time and I still do this uh, every Wednesday. I have a dental recovery meeting in Atlanta. This is sponsored through the Georgia Dental Association. It's an awesome group. Um, this is where they do all the drug screens and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, we do multiple drug screens a month. Um, if when you're on a consent order, which is a an order from the Georgia Board of Dentistry saying. You can practice, but you have to meet all these requirements. Mm-hmm. So they're protecting the public is what they're doing. Right. And 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 it's good. It's, yeah. It's like a built-in. Oh. It's such a, it's an amazing tool for him because it's built-in. So, I mean. But, it's, yeah. but it's also for her, too, um, because I have other people watching me. Yeah. Yeah, he'll say. And, I and had, helping me. He's like, I got selected. I had to go do a drug test today. I'm like, well, did you pass? Yeah, I'm like, okay. The uh, the treatment center I went to, I got really lucky with our insurance. It was called the Farley Center, and it was for professionals. And I learned all about HPIMP and, like, the monitoring programs. And, like, that's intense. But then the statistics they had on sobriety with monitoring programs was incredible, even after the monitoring program stopped. Yeah. Like the success rate was so much higher. And right. I'm like, okay. I mean, it's it's just that safety net. Yeah. For you, for me now, it's just a safety net. You yeah. Because I still do them. I'm off my consent order, but I still do the drug screens and I still go to the meeting on Wednesday. Dang. Wow. Yeah. So, I think he did that for about two months. Found a new job. New job was really great and accommodating because he was again our the term like rigorous honesty is what we try to practice, which can be very frustrating sometimes because it's <laughs> yeah. not always fun. Um, but so he was really honest wh- when he interviewed. And so he was hired in an office that was really great about working with him on if he got selected to drug test, they'd be like, Hey, your 11 o'clock's running late. Why don't you run out and go do your drug test? Um, well, they actually built in time during the day for it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Mm. Um, yeah. 
gosh, that's he didn't awesome. have a you know he didn't have a DEA number, so the other doctors in the office would write like if his patient needed a prescription, they would write it for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so they kind of went above and beyond to make sure. Mm-hmm. How did you guys rebuild your marriage? So, um, I did counseling. I think I heard you mention like the um, what are the not the AA groups, but the. Al-Anon. Al-Anon. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I went to a few Al-Anon meetings and I didn't, I just didn't connect. Like it wasn't, it just wasn't a good fit for me. Um, I mean, one of the big, I mean, I had to get like a babysitter and it was always like at night and it was just, it didn't, it wasn't for me. So I was just fortunate enough. I was able to get in with a counselor. So I did a lot of counseling while he was gone, which kind of helped me. Um, I mean, I'm so pro therapy. Like if, I mean, I think she let me talk about Ryan for like a few sessions and then it was like things that had absolutely nothing to do with Ryan and like all about my family of origin and upbringing and why I would excuse things or how could I have not seen this and what was I like overlooking because what was I focused on? What was I holding on to? We all have so many blind spots. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. So it was excellent. And so when he came back, we did, um, we did therapy together. We did couples counseling for probably a year. Over a year. We yeah. still do. It was over a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we worked. It was with her. really good for us. Amazing. Yeah, she was great. Yeah. Um, she's excellent. So she worked with us. Um, I mean, and it wasn't contentious though. Like when he came back, like the forgiveness piece fell into place before he came back for me with him. Um, I mean, I, again, like with your faith, like I look really good on paper but there are plenty of things like in my life, there were things that he didn't know. Um, and so I'm like, if I expect forgiveness for the things I've done and, and people don't know about them, so I don't have to tell anyone about them, but then how can I hold, how can I hold on and, and refuse to forgive him for what he did to us? So I just kind of had that moment, like that, that analogy about, you're drinking the poison, hoping it kills somebody else. Like it was killing me. Like that mm-hmm. rage and that anger was killing me. Um, and so one of our first dinners back, I was like, I'm going to tell you about something. I mean, we'd been married five years. I'm like, I'm going to tell you about some things you don't know about me. Like, like I've prayed for forgiveness for these things. And if, you know, I'm not perfect. So how can I, like expect Christ to forgive me and not be willing to give that to you. So we had had this conversation before he came home. Um, so I was, I guess, willing, like both of our words were like willing, like he was willing to do the work to get sober. I was willing to forgive him and, and try to make like the next steps. Yeah. Yeah. So in the back of uh, the big book, a big book, they talk about, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And those are the like the big three components that you need to, to truly get sober. And, you know, in, in this case, honest with ourselves, and then the open-mindedness being, where, is, where can God take us from here? You know, and then we were just willing to do it. Um, Put in the work. Yeah. Well, I relate so much to your, your perspective there, Lee, because... Uh, I had recently become a Christian, like within like the year of uh, 
you know, wow. me learning about Brooke's recovery or, or her addiction. And then she, she went to treatment and I tell people all the time, but for Christ, there's no way I could have for, forgiven her. Like, but for Christ, it, that's, that was the, he allowed me to, or taught me to forgive, um, through the same process that you just described. So, Praise Jesus, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I would have been screwed without my faith. I mean, I would have just raged on. and Yeah, same here. And just um, there wouldn't be like a story Mm -mm. about us on the other end. Nope. The same. Yeah. (sighs) One more thing. Yeah. One more thing. I want to know what tools you've used to feel good in recovery, like to, to find that happy place that you were referring to. Yeah. So, um, several of them, um, you know, and they're different. Like some of them are spiritual. Some of them are physical. Um, like we saw each other at CrossFit today. That's one of the tools that I use is to take care of my body and to, um, do something hard because it's hard for me. I don't like cardio. So, um, the cardio part, I don't like, it Mm -hmm. didn't show. Huh? It did not it show, show to, this yeah. morning. No, uh, I would I would much rather go in and just lift weights and not worry about doing any cardio. You, you know that's what the, the hard part of you know what me. the truth is. You should actually do the exact opposite of what you want to do. Absolutely, most of the time. Me and Brooke have talked about this so many this times so the last few weeks. So when I was in treatment, that's exactly what I did. Yeah, like I did the exact opposite of what I wanted to do. Yeah, if I felt like I wanted to be quiet, I talked. If I felt like I needed to talk, I was quiet. Like, it was bizarre. <laughs> like, I really did the opposite. Yep. Today, I went to CrossFit this morning, yeah. and I'm just coming back from, we've been busy for two weeks, and I was so beat, and then went back to my work, and there's a guy's trip going on where I work, and they were running this mile-long driveway that's like this 13 times, and they're like, Brooke, come run with us, and I'm like, no. <laughs> Is that, am I like, I'm so, I'm already sore. Like my lower back kind of hurts. I don't want to overdo it. And I stopped and I was like, oh no, you're doing it. <laughs> and like went out there and punished the crap out of myself because I didn't, you after, know, after that workout this yes, morning. Yeah. yeah. Because it was like, I was making the dumb excuses and like, right. I don't want to feel like, I don't want to feel like, you know. Right. But, For me, it's the dishes. <laughs> oh gosh. That's where I check myself. <laughs> Like, I do not want to do because I always want to run and work out. Like, of course, that's what I want to do. Like, right. I don't struggle with it that way. But for me, it's the dishes. Yeah, I want you to want to do the dishes. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, so um, you know, prayer is another one of those tools. Um, How do you utilize prayer now? Um, yeah, I still pray in the morning. I pray it in the evening, and then I just I don't have like a set routine, but mm-hmm. I I pray during the day, and I. One of the best things that I do is pray for other people. Mm-hmm. Like, man, it gets me out of myself, and it actually, I feel more connected. I feel more human when I do that mm-hmm. um, because I can have, I can feel like robotic sometimes. And um, when I pray for somebody else, and I actually care about them, and I want to pray for them and see them do well. Um, that's that's a good one for my soul right there. Mm-hmm. Um. um Going to meetings, I still go to AA meetings. I go to one a week. I go on Mondays um, here in Rome, and uh, I do my Wednesday 
meeting. That's those are those are some bigger tools, I guess. So um, if anybody wants to join you, you'll be at AA on Monday night. That's right. I'll, I'll join. Yep. Six, <laughs> yeah, six I would love to check Street. out that meeting. Six o'clock, Third Street. Um, talking to Lee, like learning how to talk to her has been a huge tool. Um, like we, if we go places and I'm feeling a little funny, you know, like I got ear, like I'm uncomfortable or something like that. I can talk to her and tell her about it. And it usually brings it down enough to where I don't feel like I need to do anything. You know, I can just get through it. Um, and having people to call. I know a lot of people in recovery at this point and having somebody to call that's in recovery, especially if you're having like a craving or something. Like if you're, if you're feeling it one day and you're like, man, a glass of wine or a pill or something would be good. And you call somebody like it goes away like immediately. Mm. And it's just a freeing thing. And, um, those are, those are big tools. Having, wow. having connections is what we talked about. I've, I've heard so much of that throughout, you know, you're in, in the way that you're still plugged into the community aspect. Um, uh, if you want to, whatever you call it, the, the, that recovery community of how important that is. And I don't know, it just keeps resonating with me. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's a big one for me. And we talked about when he came back, I think in treatment, they talked about having different playmates, different playgrounds. So there is sort of a different look to our life now. Um, I don't drink. Like we just kind of both just adapted. It's just easier, I think, just for the two of us. Um, and just naturally that will shift like where you are, where you go, who you're with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always an intentional shift, but it's a shift. Um, but it's not the, the, like you said, like the black and white, like, sad gray scale life yeah like you know for the first year or two we didn't go to many parties at all like especially with alcohol yeah i just didn't want to be around it yeah and i'll be honest i still don't like to be around it like i just don't like it and because i know what it does to me man it's just it takes me over and um i know that that can happen again if it's you know the right circumstances or I'm not working a good program or something like that, you know. If I'm, if I think I got, I got it this time. Yeah, that can happen. So I just we try to. Our life's pretty simple, but it's pretty awesome. It's been so freeing from what I thought I wanted, to be yeah. where we are now. Yeah, to be more simple, um, just kind of that freedom, just to be who you are and have people know who you are. Like our friend circle is smaller, but we've got like some amazing people in our lives who like help us to have stronger faith, be better parents. Um, it's It's been the most freeing thing. I've heard a lot that made me think about Biscuit. Like you did a lot of work on yourself through this process because you were kind of forced into it. Yeah. And then I'm hearing that y'all's life is different than it would have been. And like... I don't know if we've ever had this conversation, but that's my perspective on our life too, is like, I'm grateful for the things that my addiction has brought into our marriage and into our life. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if I would take it back. Oh yeah, absolutely not. I don't, yeah. I mean, for us, it's like changed how we parent our boys and how we talk with them and um, like how we relate. I mean, we talked about, I mean, one of the reasons we were able to coast along was we'll say we were like amicable roommates. Like we were both about getting the, like checking the boxes, getting life done. 
mm-hmm. but I don't know if our relationship was anywhere near as strong as it is now. No, I mean, I mean it, wasn't. it certainly wasn't growing. No. Yeah. That's so, so yeah. cool. I don't, yeah. I mean, I didn't That's, have to go through rehab. I don't know if I, I mean, I wouldn't take it back for where we are now. It wasn't fun. Oh man. But just Ooh, like anything. It was hard. Anything yeah. worth doing. Like mm-hmm. the, the thing I worry about with, um, like younger kids that get into drugs and alcohol is that they haven't done something hard in their life mm-hmm. and they haven't seen the benefit of doing something hard. And knowing they can. Man. Later, later, because we were, I was older when I went to treatment. And so, you know, one of the hardest things that I did was go to Georgia Tech. Like Georgia Tech was extremely difficult. Like it humbled me big time. And going through that experience, like when I got to treatment, I was like, okay, this is going to be super hard. What else can I rely on that I've done mm-hmm. that has been hard for me? And what what was the benefit of doing that? You know, you know that's crazy that you say that, Lee. Uh, I mean, uh, Ryan, sorry. Um, it's crazy that you say that because, man, wow. I, it just hit me because, like, I've had this for the last few months, like, one of my biggest gift in life is to uh, is to create hard experiences for people that actually develop them and change them and teach them all these skills that we learn in the SEAL teams. Skills is ter- in terms of getting through hard things, breaking things down into digestible segments, leading, being led, being part of a team. All pe- this is not common knowledge to people. I didn't realize that until my most recent days but i've had this uh i don't know if you want to call it a calling or or this kind of yearning to create a a program for specifically for youth because i've never worked with youth before i don't like kids um Hmm. but it's it's just hit me when you said that what worries you most about kids that get into drugs or alcohol they've never been through something hard and I just feel like I have the gift to create that opportunity for them in a safe environment that's right. in a, done very professionally and very systematically. And um, it could, I think it could actually save people's lives if we, if we created a program like that. Absolutely. Uh, at, you know, at some point. And could so. Be amazing. I mean, drugs yeah. or alcohol or just anything. Yeah. I mean, life is going to mm-hmm. bring. I want to buy a piece. There's a piece of land for sale down the road from us. That would be perfect for that program. I want to buy it. It's eight hundred fifty thousand dollars. If any of you guys got some extra money around <laughs> laying around, listen to this. Let's buy it. Let's create an awesome program for youth. Um, just throwing that out there yeah. into the airwaves. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Anyways, that hit me square when you said that because it shows me the the absolute need for that. And I'm gonna tell you, youth are underserved because there's no money in it. There, there would yeah. be no money in that for me. That You know what I'm saying? It's right. like, you, you have to make a living. So, right. you know, you're, you, you're serving entrepreneurs, you're serving people that are leading and want, you know, that they're wanting these skills because it's going to help them in, in their personal lives. These are all adults, right? They can, they can pay for that. And I have to make a living. And so that's why I think youth has kind of fell below the radar not only because i've never really been passionate about kids but i'm starting to see like man there's this needs to happen yeah because my gifting pairs with that you know yeah um i don't know we'll flesh that out later um i wanted to add i got one more question for lee 
you know, if I harbor any resentment, this sounds crazy, but I want to know if you have any, either of you guys have any insight on this. If I, har if I harbor any resentment in terms of um, addiction, it's not toward my wife. It's toward doctors. I harbor a lot of resentment toward these medical professionals that are drug dealers. Well, They're drug dealers. Real, and I'm not saying I'm right, okay? But that's where my resentment resides. Tiny bit of backstory. I doctor shopped like hardcore. And they're the ones that were giving me the narcotics and the benzos. And that's what almost killed me. Yeah. So like, that's where that comes oh, from. Yeah. You know? I mean. Yeah, he was the doctor in his situation. That was <sighs> Yes. Yeah, it's so just it was like providing the I haven't got over that. I still yeah. resent that. Well, there's that's like, deeper for you too. It doctors don't focus on nutrition, exercise, environment. Like I think there's a lot there for you. Do you think it would change anything if they if doctors were educated differently or do you think addicts would just find what they needed? Seems like they'd find their way. I agree. Okay. We would find a way, that's for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We're resor so, we're resourceful. Very yeah. And smart. I know. That's why most <laughs> addicts that go through recovery are some of this in my opinion they're some of the smartest people on earth once they make it through recovery and come out the other side and the most they're, creative yeah they're unstoppable um because of those attributes if they can be used to the good right they're unbelievable so that that helped me though to think of, I, I mean that, that's a mindset shift to think well should i really be resenting these stupid freaking doctors that just <laughs> deal drugs like well it's actually the addict uh, the addict would probably just find another way so i don't know why that was on my mind but anyways we've been going for over two hours now and um i really appreciate you guys having the courage to come and and share mm -hmm. your story uh it's very very meaningful and powerful and impactful to me personally so i don't care if anybody else likes the conversation or not i loved it and um i do believe there will be at least one person that this conversation will impact the trajectory of their life i truly believe that i agree and i just i love y'all's willingness i mean i know you were kind of forced into the public and like but again, just your energy throughout this and your body language and the willingness to share the really hard parts, you know, and your reaction to her sharing the really hard parts is like, man, if if anything would tell me that like you're in a good place in recovery, it would be that, you know, like, I don't know. You guys are just awesome. Well, well it started with you guys sharing Y'all stuff too. Exactly. Oh, that's how this all came about. Was we listened to the origin works. series? We're just an open book. Well, you, yeah. And I want to leave. Uh, I, I just want to. I you guys may not do social media. I don't know where you guys are at with that. But where can where can listeners um, connect with you guys? Or Ryan, if you have any advice for listeners that are living an active addiction, where they start, where you would recommend. The, the start where do they go like yeah <laughs> like anything you want to put out there man yeah you know i got a call last night about somebody like struggling and where where they what what needs to happen next and i usually prefer to tell people to go to treatment but a lot of times that just depends on where they are in their cycle mm -hmm. and how far 
how far, how bad it's gotten, kind of. Unfortunately, that's just the way it works. Yeah. But if you can get them to treatment, get them to a treatment facility, and then get them in AA, that's those those would be the direct line for me. Roger that. Yeah. Where can people find you on Instagram, Lee? Well, Ryan just um, started his own dental practice last year, last April. So nice. well, Weldon Dental. Weldon Dental. Weldon Dental is okay. on the gram. On the gram. <laughs> on the gram. I should probably post some more. <laughs> do you run the do you run the Instagram? <clears throat> yes. <laughs> yes. So Ryan is um he's here in Rome. So Weldon Dental, if you you know. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. You guys out. reach out to uh to Ryan and Lee if you got anything out of the conversation. Uh give them a thank you because they took a large chunk of their day out here to come and share their story. So mm-hmm, shoot, yeah. shoot them a thank you. Let them know what you got out of this episode. And um, if you know someone in your life that could benefit from this conversation, share the show with them. All right? It's super simple. Just You're listening to this right now. Click the little thing that says copy link and text them the link to the show. Don't be lazy. Don't be a lazy turd. Oh my gosh. If it will help someone share the show, that's the only reason we have these conversations is to help people. So please do that. Okay. I had to get that out. Okay. I want to end with the serenity prayer. If I'm wondering if everybody's ever heard it, like Love it. guarantee you there's some people on here who have never heard it. Yeah. But it's so good for not just recovery. Like yeah. it's just a great prayer. It is a great prayer. Well, you can end with that and I'll give you the honors of enough said. What? Yeah, I gave you the honors today. No, I don't want it. Okay, well, I'll <laughs> take it. That. You can do it. Are you done being mad and crazy? Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is a serenity prayer. I don't know why in the world I'm reading it. I just, I know it. I just feel like I'm going to forget, like on the spot, you know? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Enough said. That's you.